I'd like to welcome to the show, David McKinley. How are you doing, David? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm very good, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about your experiences. You've had, you've had a, a pretty interesting journey so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. But we, I don't think we'd ever consent to the journey if we knew what was ahead, or maybe <laughs> we do and we forget before we embark. I don't know. But what a wild ride. It is a wild, wild ride, to say the least. So uh, before we get into the interesting, the really interesting parts of your journey, what was your life like before your your near-death experience? Oh, well, it was uh, the life of an insecure, extremely tall, uh, young, cocky guy who didn't really know who he was in the world, but was faking it like most young men do and stumbling along. Um, I was very introverted, very shy, uh, grew up in a family of five. So, you know, you're, you're fighting for your, your, your place at the table. And, uh, uh so I kept mostly to myself, right. And, um, just moved along, uh, stumbling upon, uh, friends and interesting experiences uh, and topics that, that sort of made me go, hmm. And then a big one happened. I was diagnosed with cancer. Now, you were diagnosed with cancer prior to your near-death experience? Yeah, I was 17 years old. Oh, my God. And uh, this was not a kind of cancer that most people have ever heard of. Uh, the, the full name is perigangglioma, and it's um, 90% of these grow on the adrenal gland, gland, it's an encapsulated tumor that it's on the adrenal gland and it's making a Molotov cocktail of chemicals. So its danger is not that it's going to spread out and compromise the body's metabolism and different organs, but instead it sits there waiting to explode. It's got dopamine, norepinephrine, catecholamines. These are very dangerous. Uh, and it's like, uh, the the trigger the fuse is lit whenever my adrenal gland is activated so the moment i got excited or angry or afraid uh even if i exercised it would trigger the adrenal gland and that would cause the tumor to explode most people die in about 30 seconds i was lucky I would have small explosions, and um, they looked to me like an anxiety attack. So I didn't know I had this tumor in me. And uh, the, the thing is, my metabolic response was lower because the first tumor was in my bladder. So I was peeing out uh, the metabolites, and it wasn't going directly into my circulatory system. Uh, so I survived it. Uh, the doctor said, oh, it's a paranganglioma. Most of those, 90% are benign. Don't worry about it. You're good. But it grew back again and again and again at four times, and each time got worse. Uh, well, so, me, can, I I, ask you, can I ask you a quick question, though, before, before I forget? Yeah. When you were told for the first time you had cancer, how does a 17-year-old process that? Because I know I didn't, I couldn't have processed that seventeen. So I was curious how would you how would you process it? Well, I didn't process it either because the doctor said it's benign. 
And right. So I thought I was out of the woods. I thought it was just this weird tumor. And when I went to the library to look up the paranganglioma, um, after the word benign, I just closed the book and said, hey, I got away with that one. But it made me wake up and it made me ask some hard questions. What, what is life all about? That was a close call. Maybe I should stop living small and step out of my comfort zone. I kept asking questions and they led to better questions. So because of cancer, I went to university and I studied the meaning of life. So it did start you on on a path that you would have never been on. Exactly. I thought I was going to be a recording engineer and a photographer. Um, mm-hmm. that, that was what I enjoyed. But no, I, um, I studied philosophy and comparative religion and uh, dug deeper and deeper. Eventually, that led me to um, a community, well, a Christian community, mm-hmm. and I, I experienced you know, a lot of fun and a lot of belonging, and um, but couldn't really swallow the faith as it was presented. Hmm. I knew there was something deeper in there, and I didn't have a vocabulary, a language, or a context for it. So I actually went to seminary where you're trained to be a minister, right? A pastor. And I dug deeper and deeper. I just kept going. You 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 were tunneling for something. You were looking for truth. Yeah. I was I was looking for this underlying um the nature of the underlying mystery from which reality emanates. And the the doctrine and the theology seemed like windows, but there was something beyond that. Um, and then I was on internship, right? So I had a church. I was a student minister, though I wasn't a fervent believer, right? I knew I was in relationship with this mystery, and this mystery was personified in the Christ, right? Which I came to understand is a word that means the everything, the consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I'm on internship, and the tumors, another tumor is back, and it's getting active, and I'm starting to have attacks, and I'm passing out, and my heart is racing, and and uh, it was really hard because I still thought that this was anxiety. It really hit my self-esteem. I was blacking out. I was having dizzy spells, getting in the pulpit. Right. Now, I put. I I, 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 I I joke I joke that I put a lot of people to sleep on a Sunday morning, but it's not good when the minister passes out. <laughs> well, let me ask you: after all of the studying, and obviously we'll talk about your experience in a minute. From this point of view, why do you think that that tumor kept coming back? There's a purpose for that. I I believe that there's a purpose that. When things like that happen to you, there's like it, like it literally changed the course of your your life, but it kept coming back, which was interesting. Not once, not twice, four times. Do you have a? Did you ever give a thought of that? Like, why is this? Why did that happen? Yeah, because I'm thick headed. <laughs> it's just generally the uh, way it works. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I I I ask that question quite a lot. But well, I don't do that anymore, because because I'm not I'm never going to get an answer 
Mm. I'm never going to understand it from this side of the grass. So instead of why did I get this, I now ask, what am I going to do with it? Right. Then it becomes fuel for life, for living, for connection, for adventure. Well, it's, it's, it's that philosophy of life doesn't happen to me. It happens for me in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I am not a thing in the world. I am a thought of the world. Very interesting way of looking at it. All right. So let's go to your near-death experience. How did it happen? And can you tell us a little bit about it? So it was uh, on internship. It was that second tumor. Um, I was, it was really fortunate because I died in a hospital chapel. That's a pretty good place to go. Pretty serendipitous, my friend. (laughs) Yeah. You got the doctors, you got the nurses, uh, you you got the people of faith. uh, And I I was getting up to to do, I was like two, three minutes into the, the sermon. And I felt it hit. And whenever the tumor hits, it's like a punch in the gut. And you get really warm and you start to sweat and your heart's racing. And I breathe into it, breathe into it, pull yourself together. But I couldn't. And I blacked out. I was I was gone before I hit the floor, which is good because I'm I'm six feet eight inches tall. Wow. Right? Yeah. That's... And so the concussion is it's a long way down sir it's a long way down as they say long way down (laughs) but um yeah i i passed i passed out and i was gone and uh, suddenly like a lot of near-death experiences you have an out-of-body right you see yourself above and Mm -hmm. i didn't have that i was suddenly in a different realm and it's it's difficult to describe I, I'm sure all of your guests talk about that. Mm. As soon as you put it into words, you're reducing it, and you're they're not the poverty of words just are inadequate. However, it sounds simple. I was on a grassy hill. There was a tree at the top of the hill. I wanted to run to the tree with every fiber of my being, and. I was one with everything. I could feel every blade of grass as it moved. I could feel the light flowing and the light was infused with love and it was flowing through me. I could feel the tree drinking in the the light. But even more important, I felt complete. So as I'm talking with you, there's a, a massive amount of material in my subconscious that I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking about how good the chicken smells downstairs for supper. And I'm thinking about the day that I just had at the hospital with cancer patients. And uh, I'm not, I'm not fully here. Mm-hmm. No disrespect. but Fair enough. Right. But there, I was completely integrated, congruent, Uh, completely aware there was no aspect of myself that was suppressed or that i was blind to i think that's why people say they they feel that they were home Mm. we don't realize how lonely we are here we don't realize how profound the sense of separation is Mm -hmm. but there 
the connection to everything was indescribable. And I'm just walking on a grassy hill. And I was I was me, right? So did I have an ego? Well, I, I don't I don't know if maybe I didn't, it was integrated. After all, I feel like I only touched my my toe on the doorstep of whatever's out there. But mm-hmm. I was still me and I still had a body, a biped, humanoid. A, a, pers- a perception like of this. a body, yeah. Yeah, it was not like this body. No mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was not alone. There was an entity there, a being, human and yet not so much more than whatever I am. And it was a masculine figure. If I were to describe him, I couldn't visibly. Like it didn't matter what he looked like, but he was he looked like love and power and wisdom and compassion and beauty and wonder and authority. That's what he looked like. I mean, but he felt like my best friend. Mm-hmm. Like like he had known me all my life and I had known him. Um, a lot of people ask me since I'm a Christian minister, well, sounds like Jesus. Did you meet Jesus? And, and to be honest, I never presumed it was the big guy. I thought, okay, it's a junior apprentice from the warehouse or someone, right? That, but it didn't matter who he was he was no less infused with that that character of of the christ consciousness or the divine love or whatever you want to call it alex we had uh, just this relaxing conversation he he said "I, i i was jumping up and down like a kid at christmas i was saying i'm home i'm home i'm home and he said yeah it's great to see you david welcome it's great to see you. And I said, it's great to see you too. Come on, let's run to the tree. So I'm behaving like a kid. And he said, oh, no, you can't go up there, but let, let's let's walk and talk for a while. So we're walking through the grass, and we're talking about my life, and it, he says, you know, things are going really well. I know he's talking about my overall life, and I, I know that I have a life here, and I'm not here anymore. But I didn't care how well things were going. I, I kept saying, that's great. Come on, let's go to the tree. He says, no, you're, you're doing great, but you have a lot more work to do. It's important. And I said, I don't care. I'm here. I'm home. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I, I wasn't being disrespectful, right? I was just enthusiastic and overjoyed and filled with more life and vitality than I've ever experienced here. And I said, no, come on, let's go play. He said, because I knew if I got to the tree, if I got to the top of the hill and saw what was on the other side, I'd never come back here, which is common. There's all, there's often this boundary, this border. Window door. Yeah. Window door. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Point on a return. Point on a return. I really wanted that because I didn't want to come back here. Another thing that most near-death experiencers 
say like I don't want to come back. I don't want to go back. No way. No way. And he said, um, he said, look, the work you have to do is really important. And I I knew that wasn't specific things. That was that was about growth in love, and not only my own, but to help others. And I knew I felt the significance of that. And he knew that, and he said, "Don't worry, don't worry. It's going to be okay. We'll be with you." And I knew I wasn't going to win the argument. And I said, "Please, don't, please don't send me back." You can't do that. Not not after I've arrived. I, I just got here. And he put his hand on my shoulder. And I felt this this love flow into me, this compassion. And he said, it's okay. We will be with you. We'll be with you every step of the way. And it won't take long. We'll see you later. <sighs> Boom, you're back. Really? So there was no tunnel of life, no life review. When you guys were talking about your life, was that would you associate that to be kind of a life review? Like you were having specific conversations about parts of your life? I wouldn't consider that a classic life review as in most uh, other sure. accounts in a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. But he imparted the importance of my life, the significance of what was to come, mm -hmm. the gravity of that and coming back is the hardest thing. It, it's the, it's miserable. You know what's so fascinating it, is, and I know you, I know from watching some of your other interviews that you, you know, you delve into the quantum physics and and to the yeah. science of of what why we're here, the the reality of life in general, the big questions, and. I was talking to a quantum physicist the other day about um, our life being very much like a video game and we are avatars. And there is a player, which is consciousness, the aware of what is happening, consciousness, soul, higher self, and that we don't particularly know where we're going. Someone is moving you in the direction you need to go and some stubborn people like you and me, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get reminded like, no, don't go in that door. And you're like, no, no, but I really want to go in that door. Don't go in that. <clears throat> it just starts like smacking you to like, no, this is the path. And it's really interesting how, since I've spoken to so many near-death experiencers, they always seem to know the like, if you're going back, you're like, no, you've got to go back because this, this, and this is going to happen. So there's kind of like yeah. this blueprint, this mapping of, a general idea of like, these big things are going to happen to you and you're going to do this, this, and this. And as a, if you look at it from a video game perspective, you know what levels are ahead of you because you've either read about them or you've experienced them, but the player itself doesn't know. Go ahead. I so appreciate that. You, you summed it up. That's exactly it. And I'm not allowed to remember that information. Right what those specifics are i just knew i mean he showed me told me i knew the nature of this work right uh, but i had to forget it all as soon as i am back in this right um which means 
you're stumbling along as much as ever before, but it's kind of worse. Because you have a little bit of information. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you have, before ignorance was the bliss, and now you're just like, damn it, I kind of, <laughs> kind of, I have a couple of bullet points now that I, oh, now it's more frustrating. <laughs> On top of that, you are forever homesick for what you had become. Oh, I can only imagine. Because then you know what's what's on the other side. You're like, oh, I don't want to play this game yeah. anymore. I want to go where the players are hanging out, not where the avatars are hanging out. <laughs> and yet I know that I emanate from that. I'm never separate from it. But right. it sure feels like I am, right? Because I'm left in this reality, the one you're embedded in. Alex, as soon as you get re reconstituted, as soon as you're re-embodied you feel the density of flesh and the pull of gravity and the muck of words and how thoughts have to come one after the other and how they're totally inadequate and that reality which is so much more real than this just right it, i think it it descends into your subconscious it, it goes into the core of your being because you cannot integrate it right away you're going through existential dissonance. You've moved from this level of consciousness to one so expansive, and then you're compressed back into this. And so that's what happened. I I, I felt myself back in the hospital on the floor. I heard the voices of the doctors and the nurses who have been trying to resuscitate me, my, though my chest didn't hurt at all if they gave me CPR. And my wife at the time... Uh, she, she was she was mad and scared and she said you were gone like 15 minutes no heart beat no no breathing wow i didn't care i didn't care about that i i just felt lousy <laughs> i had a headache i felt confused that 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 reality I touched upon uh, was quickly removed from my conscious awareness. They wrapped me in a blanket. I felt really out of sorts and strange. They checked my vitals. They couldn't find anything wrong, and they sent me home. And I, the first thing I did was I, I, craw I crawled into bed. I pulled the covers up, and I grieved. Yeah. I didn't know why I was grieving. It's fascinating that yeah. once you know that you are in it, if I use the analogy, the game, if you, once you know you're a player in a game, you don't want to play anymore. When you're ignorant to the fact that you're a, a player in the game and that, that your higher self or the soul or the consciousness is guiding you through this game, you're just like, oh. Why am I, this is, because this is not easy. Life is not easy. This is this is not an easy journey. This is not an easy game to play. It's very difficult. And I don't play it well. <laughs> well it's a, but it's designed that way. It's designed for you to be challenged. It's designed for you to go through crap. It's designed for you to be yes. chat all the time. But it's, un, it's not hell. It's the equivalent of working out. You go to the gym. You lift up weights. 
it sucks, but you have to tear down the muscle for it to grow. Sim, right. lift, repeat. Don't you don't have to believe it's going to do anything. Just do it, and the muscle will grow with sleep and nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, in this game, I'm not competitive. Um, I'm not aggressive, but I always felt the separation from from the ground of being, and so it reanimated my faith in a completely new way. I was no longer lifting my prayers as petitions to an external God. I was now participating in the consciousness of God. And God was not an old man with a beard sitting on a throne. God is a word for the ground of being, from which all of reality emanates. So how can I honor the divine light in everything, the sacred, ordinary moments? Right. Um, but because you're 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 stuck in this and you're longing for that, you still do stupid things to fill the hole, make really unwise choices. But that's hard because you know they're unwise and you do them anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no question about it. I have to ask you though. So once you came back. Yours is very interesting. I haven't I haven't heard that kind of near death experience before where you're gone for 15 minutes which technically means you're brain dead. You shouldn't have any sort of conscious. You were in a hospital with, or surrounded by nurses and doctors so they can all kind of test testimony that this is actually happening. So that already breaks the thing and then they they send you home the same day. They don't even like hang out for observation which is fascinating. And you just it's kind of like you just had like a bad case of gas. <laughs> And you got knocked out and you were sent home afterwards and you had this near-death experience during the process. I'm assuming that the after effects of this were what you just said in regards to the re, the, re, the different kind of faith and the, the way you interact mm -hmm. with God consciousness. But how did the people around you deal with this new version of you? Because this is something that happens to at least everyone I've spoken to or heard about that have a near-death experience, they come back completely different human beings. And people around them have a difficult time sometimes. Well, I like to think I was a pretty decent human being before it happened. It's not we like all my principles changed uh, very much. Sure. I also didn't, I didn't talk about it. I didn't share it with anyone for years. Mm. Um, but I did find that within a few months of returning, from internship back to the final year at seminary, uh, that I had developed a sensitivity to energy. And so I explored that and was trained in therapeutic touch, right? Mm. Energetic healing modality. And even as I do this, I can feel it between my fingers. That was different. Mm. And, um, and the road ahead uh, was was different because I, I began to have mystical moments, coincidences, uh, things that I couldn't shrug off. Can you, can you, can you give an example? Oh, you know, it's the, the, the typical ones where you think of someone and they call, or you, mm -hmm. you can read the energy of someone or the thoughts. And, and um, but they're, they're so fleeting that, that, um, I didn't. I didn't think of it as an ability. I would just think, "Oh, that's weird." But now, as I look back, it's like, "Oh, wow!" 
There's quite a lot. Now, these are very common, actually. I'm not saying I'm exceptional. A great study by the uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences found that over 90% of people experience these non-ordinary states of consciousness for, for, you know, fleeting moments in their life. But they increased significantly when my cancer returned for the so, third time. So then, so you had two, can two cancer scares a near-death experience, and apparently that's not enough for you. So then <laughs> they go, he hasn't learned yet. We got to send him at least one, maybe two more cancer scares. What, okay, so this is interesting to me because now you're getting the diagnosis of cancer again. Same one, right? Same, exact same. So you're getting the same cancer diagnosis after you're, you've gone to the other side and come back. Did a small part of you say, Oh God, I hope this is the one that gets me because I just want to go back. I've heard that before. Yeah. I'm <laughs> afraid that every time I was on the operating room table, I'd say a little prayer and it would be like, oh, please let me die for just a little bit, okay? I mean, <laughs> come on. Just a peek. I'm not asking for the whole meal. I mean, that'd be great. I just want to go back to the field. And every <laughs> And every time I'd wake up after the operation, and I got nothing. And I'd, I'd, I'd wake up, I'm in the recovery room, and I'm, my first thought would be, oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Please. And I get nothing. I get nothing. Well, let me ask you then. I mean, you, you obviously became more conscious, more aware of things. You, you became your, your, your vibration, your con your 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 consciousness in general had gone up. It leveled up after this near death experience, and then when you get hit with with this cancer diagnosis again, do you ask what am I missing here? Did you did you do some self evaluate? Like did you d dive deep and go, okay, again this is yeah. happening for a reason. I have so much more information now. Why is this happening at this point again? Yes, and my conclusion was always I've. Guess I've got a lot of growing up to do. What was it? What was um, it trying to teach you, though? What is this whole cancer aspect of your life trying to teach you? Have you figured that out yet? Well, what I did with it was learn how to love, um, learn how to grow up, and wake up. Right? You look at integral theory. That's that's a really good model. Ken Wilber's stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I love Ken Wilber. But I. I honestly, I didn't do that without um, making a lot of mistakes. Because when we don't know how to love, we injure the people we love. I did that. Um, just being selfish, uh, not being considerate. Uh, and here I am now ordained, right? A minister, but I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, I had a lot of maturity ahead of me. In, so in, yeah, cancer did that. In your in your um, ministry, uh, are you still a bit at odds with the teachings versus what you know as the truth? The religious problem that you were saying earlier, like the window, but it wasn't. It's kind of foggy, not there exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. There's some tension there, but see, I'm a Lutheran minister, so mm -hmm. if you know Anglican and Catholic, Lutheran is very much like that. So you got your Protestants and your Catholics and Lutherans started the mess 500 years ago. 
But at its heart, the Lutheran faith is a reform movement, always upgrade the faith. Um, and so that's what I do. And my language focuses around consciousness. And uh, my work, see, I'm a hospital chaplain with cancer patients and palliative patients in the ICU. So I engage people to use suffering to... Um, to use suffering as a functional process that deconstructs the ego as a process of waking up and moving towards transformation. It's very effective at doing that and triggers, of course, ego defense mechanisms for self-preservation. And uh, we don't like it, but that's what suffering does. So again, I don't ask, why did this happen? I help people say, okay, it's potent fuel for transformation. How are we going to use this to grow up and wake up in love? That's very powerful. I mean, those are, that's, I mean, the, your, uh, your buddy on the, on the, on the grassy knoll, uh, he was speaking the truth. You have very important work to do. This is, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've, I've have multiple family members who are doctors and I've been around the medical field most of my life, uh, not personally in it, but just, adjacent to it. So I'm familiar with what they do and how they do it. And being around uh, patients, I can only imagine the the help that you're bringing to so many souls by doing the work that you do. It is really, really important work to give somebody an understanding of why they're going through hell uh, and how they can transform that into something positive in their life's journey. Yeah, and uh, I'll share a tool that I use that really powerful, and it's from the Buddhist tradition. Uh, it's a meditation called Tonglen, and this means receiving and, and giving. So I'm sitting with a person. They may be in significant existential distress because they're worried about dying. They're worried about the burden of grief and worry on their family members and they're worried about the suffering that may be ahead because they have leukemia, right? And it's not going good. So I sit with them and I say, okay, let's use the energy of this suffering. It's powerful stuff. I want you to take on everyone's problems. I get that look in their eyes. I say, it's very simple. Think of the patient in the next room. They're going through similar things. You're the expert in your experience and what it's like to struggle with this. Close your eyes, breathe into it. Identify the greatest, like a strong facet of what, what's hard about this. So maybe it's fear of dying. Right? Where, where do you feel it? Oh, it's right here in my heart. Okay, breathe into it, allow it, let it live, stay with it. Now breathe in more of it from that patient in the next room. Draw it out of their body into yours. Increase yours by taking theirs. When you breathe out, send back your compassion to them. Could be light. Could be the words, I understand. I'm with you. I get it. I'm right with you. I say, only you can do this. Breathe in. Take it in. Powerful because compassion is not some wishy-washy nice thing. 
in the Buddhist tradition, you become a bodhisattva, a warrior of compassion, not by fixing things, but by embedding yourself in that which is, not shrinking back from it in any way. And now, by pulling in the pain of other people, you have agency, you have power, you're making a difference. And the research shows that it's the case, even though the other person's in the next room, their metabolism, their vital signs will start to synchronize with yours. Pretty cool. So I teach them this, and it changes their relationship to their own fear and suffering. And it empowers them to face what is, instead of reach for something that may be unrealistic. I want to bring them back to this moment that is the only moment that touches upon eternity. Mm. That's fascinating. You, since you work in the medical arena, I'd love to hear your thoughts on why do you think that the medical establishment dismisses these near-death experience, the near-death experience phenomenon as much as it does. And now I, there's much more, I mean, since Raymond Moody, much more information mm -hmm. about this and, and information about the phenomenon and some quantum physicists are talking about proof of, you know, mathematical quantum physics proof of how things happen and, and, and out of body experiences and all that kind of stuff. In your opinion, from your colleagues, why do you think that they can't open up to it? And, and what's your experience? I'm assuming you've, everyone knows that you've had a near death experience at, some, at a point and they go, you know, how is that? How's that in, when you're at the, in the cafeteria? <laughs> how does that work out right. for you? <laughs> So they do know because I presented on the subject at Grand Rounds. Right. And it was the highest attended Grand Rounds they've ever had in history and the most highly rated one, too. Standing room only. Really? There were hundreds in the room. And there's resistance to it because there's they're not familiar with it. And the medical team are embedded in the material reductionist mechanistic model of right. fix the body. They don't explore the mystery of consciousness, and they're not familiar with the research behind it. I find the vast majority of nurses and doctors are fascinated by it and mm -hmm. open to it. I, I've never been shut down. I've never been met with uh, condemnation or ridicule. At most, a doctor might say, well, I don't know, I think it's hypoxia. So I'll talk about hypoxia for a bit, but it can create an existential dissonance. Again, that's a different reality. So I'm like, well, hey, we'll all find out one day, won't we? And then we smile and we all laugh and we move on. But the nurses, the nurses are with the patient as they die. Right. The nurses witness nearing death awareness. The nurses know. It's great. Yeah, it's it, they are. I found that they are much more open to it because they just have more experience with death, and they're there all the time. And it's, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, uh, you know what the last three words of Steve Jobs was on his deathbed? Wow! Wow! Oh wow! wow. Oh wow. Oh, wow! oh wow! Yeah, it's <laughs> those. That's so. I get chills when I say that. Like it's like it's amazing yeah. that you know. Oh, God, I mean, I've saw, I've 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 have people who are in the family who work in hospice and yeah. deal with literally seeing death around them all the time. And you can't see, you can't be a witness to so much of that without asking a question or two. You just can't, you can't. Uh, on that note, did you see the New Yorker cartoon of 
God introducing Jesus to Moses, and he's saying, uh, Moses, or introducing Steve Jobs to Moses, he says, Moses, this is Steve, he's going to upgrade your tablets. <laughs> that's genius. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, now, the one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, and I've heard you talk about this before, and I'd love to hear your opinion on it. The resurrection of Jesus, was that or could have that been taken as a near-death experience? Or in your opinion, from your studies and your research, or is it a resurrection? I don't think it's a near-death experience. I don't see how it it it, 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 it jives with that. Uh, I do think it was a mystical apparition, as many people have experienced with angels, right? Mm. Um, the majority of people, as they're dying, will see their welcoming party, right? It begins right. in lucid dreaming, and then as the days and hours approach, they will see their, their welcoming party looking as real or more real than the other physical people in the room. I think that the resurrection of, of Jesus was a actual manifestation, uh, but different than this body. You know, the interesting little clues in it. Uh, Mary, when he appears to Mary, she wants to embrace him. And he goes like, whoa, whoa, you can't touch me yet because I've not yet ascended. And there's something weird about that. What's he talking about? Right? You can't touch me. So... It's not this kind of body. And then he's doing weird things like he's appearing and disappearing or he's passing through doors. The disciples are locked away in a, a room, but he just walks, appears. So I think by location or, you know, some sort of manifestation of a different type of form. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the resurrected body was like our body. He wasn't, a, he didn't zombie out is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He wasn't walking around like a zombie at that point. No, it wasn't the physical body no. that was walking around. Maybe it, astral body, right? Right, something like that. And and again, if you yeah. go back into the Vedic texts, you hear about biolocation constantly. You know, with yogis yeah. and high ascended masters who can be at two places at the same time, and and things yeah. like that. So it, it seems like that would be more make more sense. I was just curious to hear your point of view on that. Um, I, I'm curious about, because you, I, I know you love talking about or, or, or dived into quantum physics and how science is meeting spirituality. Can you talk about from a point of view of someone who's had a near-death experience and who has studied the quantum physics and those, those theories of simulation theory and, and the, you know, the illusion in Maya, and the and from a point point of view of someone who's actually had a near death experience, do you, what do you think about how it's all coming together now? Because quantum physics has been around for about a hundred years, but really hasn't made any major jumps since then, essentially. But people are starting to, you know, like I, I think it was some I think it was some Japanese uh, quantum physicists who proved that they said simulation theory is mathematically possible. Yeah. And more likely probable <laughs> that our universe is is a uh, hologram, an illusion of some sort, which is what they've been yeah. saying since it's five thousand years ago, Maya. And that was the conclusion of Stephen Hawking in his final paper that was posted just after his death. Right, mm -hmm. that we live in a simulation. So 
it's simply about uh, uh, it, it's a big, it change it takes time to to change culture. Science itself progresses one funeral at a time. <laughs> right. Uh, Max Planck said that one of the fathers of quantum physics. Um, look at electricity. Even though uh, it it goes way way back, it took almost fifty years for it to be adopted into industry. Mm-hmm. Right? It's difficult to change your ways. Uh, we're talking about entire paradigm shift, uh, and yet the nature of reality and uh, progress both on the evolutionary scale and in the human scale is exponential, right? Um, The changes between um, 250,000 years ago to 50,000 years ago didn't feel like there were any changes. They were so small and incremental. It would take, you know, probably decades or hundreds of years for viral mutations to occur. But that rate of change is exponential. And now it takes just hours for viral mutations to occur. Um, Our growth and adoption and intelligence uh, bringing in um, writing and art and then mathematics and science. You look at the rate of change. Check out uh, Ray Kurzweil's work on this and integral um, the law of accelerating returns. Chriswheel.ai. Uh, we passed the knee of the curve um, back in the 80s or 70s, and it's, we're rocketing up. So the rate of change and adoption of quantum theory and in, uh, spiritual technologies mm. uh, is going to continue to accelerate and expand out. Uh, now we have artificial intelligence that's just on the verge of becoming, you know, I don't. I don't know if we can say awake, but you know, general AI is is rapidly aware, approaching. Aware, yeah, maybe. <laughs> aware. And uh, with that, people will be augmented and then integrated with the cloud. Uh, so there, I think there is a merging of science and spirituality because it really is about consciousness and connection. The problem isn't science. The problem is scientism and material reductionism died. Right. 100 years ago right. but the religions have failed to keep up keep oh, up yeah. speed with this <laughs> yes yeah no doubt my friend <laughs> no doubt. yeah it's not part of our theological training mm-hmm. um but we it needs to be so i could see uh theological training that's bringing quantum physics and the nature of consciousness but you don't need to wait for the church to do it. It's already happening. Your program is evidence of that. The groundswell of the appetite for this is huge. Massive. So it's it's happening all around us. Uh, I expect by 2050, the second reformation will have occurred. The merging of science and spirit will have happened. The studies in consciousness will be exponential uh, augmented by AI. But I also worry about all this because with this technology, we can destroy ourselves. We're wrecking the planet. And while poverty rates are decreasing, education rates are increasing, the disparity between the very rich and the very and the rest of us is continuing to expand. And I'm totally ignorant of what 
those high levels of power are doing with the world. Part of me wants to say, stay ignorant of that. Thank you very much. And just do my sacred work uh, here and now. You're a curious soul, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah and I do. I do have a look at his questions. <laughs> well, I do think that I think you were saying it very, very uh, clearly with electricity as a, con as a as an analogy to our this conversation is that it takes forever for things to change, especially, you know, I, people are fighting for lamp oil. You know, I mean, Rockefeller was still like, no, no, no. Lamp oil is the way it's, this electricity thing needs to go away because it was like there's a lot of money. Same things happening now with oil and electric cars and and and, and right, combustible right. engine. It will take. We've had electrical electrical cars since the late nineties. We we had the technology Actually, or earlier. This one date dates to the thirties. That's right. Yeah, you're right. I forgot. I mean, like exactly yeah. when I first saw it in my lifetime, it was yeah. in the nineties. Yeah. But yes, I, I there are patents for electrical cars in the 30s, um, but they've been squashed. But I think that everything is going to be a shift. I think we're right now, and I think you would agree with this, we're going through a major shift in in everything. Consciousness, yeah. the world, uh, the pandemic, the, 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 everything that's happening is a massive shaking of the etch-a-sketch of the world. There will be a right. – I think there will be a reset, and I think what you're talking about in regards to the economy – uh, and the the rich being rich, there's going to be a massive economic reset. Some it can't it can't continue like this. You can't have trillionaires, uh, it, 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 and there are people who can't eat. Like that's not something that the world will accept. There's a, there's a tipping point, I think, at one point or another. But every act of creation is first an act of destruction. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Yep. So I look at, uh, with that, I looked at studies in urban resiliency. And what they found was if you have everything you need within a two kilometer walk, then you'll be okay. Let that two kilometer circle be your community, build the strength of relationships. Mm -hmm. And that will be healthy and robust in the face of wider economic and global catastrophes. So that changes urban planning, transportation, resource allocation, agriculture, goes to vertical agriculture. Mm -hmm. right? uh, I really uh, took that seriously, and I live close to the hospital. I walk to work. I walk to downtown. I, I hardly ever use a car. And um, I, I build the relationships in my neighborhood and in my community. Very high quality of life as a result. Mm -hmm. It's a, a good yeah. lesson for everybody listening to learn um, from this. Um, I have to tell you, this has been a very enlightening uh, conversation, to say the least, David. Uh, it's uh, unlike most of my near-death experiences because we went deeper into the, the meaning of life and, and reality itself, which is generally uh, something we don't talk about on these kind of shows. But I, it's something that I... I'm getting more and more into, and I think it's something that really needs to be talked more about because people are hungry about this. And the crazy idea of, of simulation theory, where now science is going, no, 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 it's not that crazy. Is yeah. say, is I really want something. Huh? Yeah, and I, I want to encourage your, your viewers, don't lose hope. Yeah. Because the, in the end, uh, love wins 
Mm -hmm. right? And love is not an emotion. Love is the highest state of consciousness. And we are all on an exponentially accelerating path that's embedded in evolution to become that, to wake up and be that. Uh, practice where you're planted. Let love be your spiritual practice. Um, and trust that you make a big difference in the world with the people you're 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 around right mm -hmm. that's the ripple effect and and be serious and creative and have fun with it and hang on i know it's a wild ride but it ends well so keep shining keep shining the world needs your light keep shining and just like birth you know it's gonna get a little messy <laughs> yeah but so it's okay have a but... towel have a, get a, get some, guide. Have a towel. <laughs> have a towel. Get some hot water and uh, you'll move on. And don't panic. <laughs> and don't panic. It's going to be fine. It's all going to be, be fine. fine. It's uh, all going to be okay. David, I want to ask you a few questions. Ask all my guests. Um, what is your definition of living a good life? Realize that you're the product of your life. So be kind. Be gentle. Um. And be able to distinguish what's your homework and what's their homework. And do your homework. Love. How do you define God? God is the ground of being, the love, which is the underlying consciousness from which reality emanates. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? To grow up in the um, evolutionary process of becoming mature human beings, right? And then to wake up this way towards that which you are. You are a sacred, one-of-a-kind manifestation from a realm of pure consciousness, dimension of absolute love. You're never separate from that. So waking up from it moves you from the material realm to the causal, the subtle, the astral, and the non-dual. Check out integral theory and and go down the rabbit hole. And where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? Sure. Uh, well, I hope it's never at work. I never want to meet you at my work. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not a good place to meet you. <laughs> okay. no, come to my website. So it's davidmcginley.com. McGinley is M A G I N. L-E-Y. And there you're going to find resources and interviews and speaking engagements and all the requisite stuff. I've got a great book out called Beyond Surviving Cancer and Your Spiritual Journey, which was a bestseller in Canada and has raised thousands for cancer patients. It's really good. So if you're going through cancer or you know someone who is, that would be helpful, but it's good for everyone. And um, yeah. Well, David, explore, investigate, be curious. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And thank you for not only sharing your story, for the work you're doing in the world, my friend. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate this too. You're doing amazing stuff and have fun with it. <laughs>